As we get into the message this morning, let me start with a question. How many cooks are in here? How many people like to cook? A couple cook, got some cooks, got some people like to cook. How many chefs? Never as many chefs as there are cooks. One, just one or two. Yeah, difference, what's the difference between a cook and a chef, right? Cooks need recipes. Chefs kind of, you know, kind of come up and are able to do it without that. Uh, but either way, what makes, what do you need? If you're going to be a cook, what's the most important thing? If you're going to put together a great meal, uh, you know, great bake, you're going to bake something, you know, those guys on Chopped or Chef Junior is the one my kids like to watch. What is the, what's the most important thing? What are some of the most important things? Ingredients. ingredients okay. Ingredients are important. What else? Knowledge. What's that? Knowledge. I heard knowledge. Yeah. Heat, oven, yeah, hot stuff. Well, you can make sushi, I guess, you know, but yeah, it's important. What else? Any? Taste? Yeah, I heard preparation. I was one of them. Uh, if you're a cook, like I said, a recipe is sometimes important, right? You gotta, and following a recipe. I'm a cook, not a chef. When I cook, uh, you know, I try and I usually follow a recipe pretty closely. It's important to follow a recipe. Little things in a recipe can make a big difference. Even two little letters can make a big difference in a recipe. And uh, I'm not talking about the TSP versus the TBL. That's an important one. But another two little letters that uh, can get in trouble. So one day, our, uh, we love Mexican food in our family. My wife's from New Mexico. Wendy's from New Mexico. We love making Mexican food. We love eating Mexican food. And uh, so one day, one of us, we'll just say one of us, was preparing a dish uh, that called for one canned chipotle pepper. One canned chipotle pepper. How many peppers go in when you put one canned chipotle pepper in? One pepper. All right. Now, if you're reading the recipe quickly, you might read one can chipotle peppers. And then you might end up putting the whole can of chipotle peppers in there. I'm not saying who did that or who didn't do that. I'm just saying it happened in our house. And, uh, and I pretended I liked it. Um, but no, I'm not saying who did it. But uh, no, it was, recipes are important. It was good. I like hot food. Uh, recipes are important. This morning, I want to talk to you about a message, recipe for a miracle. Uh, recipe for a miracle. Ingredients are important when you're looking at recipes. And uh, when you're talking about a move of God, a miracle is God moving outside of the normal, God moving in the supernatural. How does that happen? We're coming to a passage of scripture in Joshua chapter 3 this morning, where there's a great miracle that happens. And I'll invite you, if you have a Bible, a copy of God's Word, to turn to Joshua chapter 3 with me. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one not far from you, either on a rack of a chair in front of you or behind you, uh, that hopefully you can find one. Um, and Joshua, if you're not familiar with finding it, you can go to the table of contents and certainly find it that way. Or um, it's near the beginning of the Bible. Uh, it's the sixth book of the Bible. You'll see books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then right after that, you'll find the book of Joshua. When it comes to a recipe for a miracle, uh, most of us think probably there's one ingredient that's necessary. When it comes to a recipe for a miracle, many of us would think, well, there's one ingredient, there's one thing that you need for a miracle, and that is God. 
that really the only recipe, the only ingredient you need for a miracle in your life, for God to do something outside of the ordinary, to God to do something supernatural, all you really need is God. And there's certainly a lot of truth to that. God is not an optional ingredient for a miracle. He is a necessary ingredient. Uh, But I would say, and as we look at Joshua chapter 3, what we'll see is not the only ingredient uh, for a recipe for a miracle. And we're going to see a little bit beyond that in Joshua chapter 3 of what else uh, is involved in that. So just before we read that, let me give you a little setting because some of you may not have been with us the last few weeks as we've been in the story studying the book of Joshua. Let me let you know where we are in the course of history, give you a little setting. So Joshua is the leader of uh, the Israelites who God has entered into a covenant with, a, a relationship with. And he's told these Israelites, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And the reason is because his, through his relationship with this one group of people, he's going to be able to show all of the peoples of the earth who he is and how he acts and how he how he loves and lives and relates to people. So he chose one group of people, and through his relationship with them, he's going to be able to show all people who he is. And so that's, that's really the foundation of that. So Joshua, at this point, uh, we're about 1500 AD, uh, BC, at this point is leading God's people into a land that God had chosen for them. Because he's going to relate to these people. So in order to relate to them as a nation, they need to have a land. And so God has identified that land for them. And, uh, and he's moving them into them. So currently, uh, they are on the east side of the Jordan River in a city called Shittim. And they are going to move into the land on the west side of that Jordan River. And uh, God has told the, these people for many, many years that he was going to do this. They've been wandering around in the desert for about 40 years, and now it's moving day, and it's time to move into the promised land. So, but you can see from their position on the east side to their promise on the west side, in the middle is the Jordan River. Uh, and they could go around it. They could go south around the Dead Sea. They could go north around the Sea of Galilee. But how many of you know the way that God brings you to a place of promise is often as important as the promise that God brings you to? And so God wants to bring them in a very particular way. And here's how it goes. Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before." Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. 
So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. All right, pause for a second there, because some of you are going, what is the Ark of the Covenant? I haven't heard anything about that since Raiders of the Lost Ark in the 1980s Indiana Jones movie. That's the only place maybe you've heard of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, actually, Indiana Jones, is actually a fair representation in some ways of what this was. It was a very holy object to the Hebrew people. God had laid out for them to build this box, and he instructed them to put him, them to put some very important things in them, copy of the Ten Commandments, uh, Aaron's staff, and a jar of manna that God had provided and went into the ark. But the more important thing about the ark was God said, put it in a holy place, a very holy place, and I will meet with the high priest there. I will meet with him there. My presence will be there. He'll be there. I'll meet with him. So when we read the Ark of the Covenant, what we're really reading is that is the place of the manifest, is the presence of God. And so what he says is, have the priest take the Ark of the Covenant, this place of the presence of God, go out before the people. And then what? All right, here it goes. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel and from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. And here is how God brought his people into the promised land. And if this was the miracle they did. He decided he's not gonna take them around south around the Dead Sea, he's not gonna take them north around the Sea of Galilee. We're going through the Jordan River. Now, if you've been to Israel and you've seen the Jordan River, you probably think, well, this isn't that big of a deal. Um, because I've been to Israel and when I saw the Jordan River, I thought, this is not really impressive. Um, you have, there are a lot of bigger rivers that you've seen in your life. There's a lot of bigger rivers around here. It doesn't actually look that hard to get to the other side of the Jordan River. 
which is why you've got this little parenthetical statement that God puts in here that says it was harvest time. It was flood season. The Jordan River was overflowing its banks. It wasn't how it normally runs. And during flood season, the Jordan River runs fast and quick and is 10 to 12 feet deep. So there is no way across it. You can't ford it. You can't float across it. You can't get across it. And yet God says, I'm taking you there across it. Now, the Jordan River has stopped at times, at least three or four times in history that we know of outside of this biblical account. Uh, In fact, here is a picture of July of 1927. July of 1927, the Jordan River actually uh, was stopped very near the place of Adam, where it says in in the Bible, where it was stopped. And it was stopped for 21 hours, where the Jordan River was stopped from flowing north to south and very similar to what we see going on here in the Bible. So a a river being stopped is not a miracle in itself. A storm could do it. Some industrious beavers can do it. I mean, things can stop rivers. But a river being stopped at the exact time, at the exact moment, at the exact place where God said it would stop, that's the miracle. That God said at this time, at this moment, you go do this and the Jordan River will part And you'll go to the other side, not by going around it, but by going through it. So yeah, the first ingredient in a miracle is God has to do something. And God certainly did something in this. But here's the thing. Here's what we learned from Joshua chapter 3 and throughout the Bible in many places. The other ingredient for the miracle, for the recipe for a miracle, is we have to do something. We have to do something. There was a requirement of the people from God, that God could have just, you know, they were sitting in the camp and they were just doing their thing and God could have just stopped the river up and they were like, hey, look, the river stopped. Let's go walk across it. But he didn't do that. He very clearly said, not only am I going to do something, but you're going to do something. I want you to, so the ark has to go first. It's very deliberate on how it goes, and then you're going to follow the ark. And there had to be some people in these millions of people who were like, weren't sure. You know, they had never seen a sea part before. You haven't either, and they hadn't either. They'd never seen a sea part. The Red Sea parted, but their parents were there. They weren't there. But God says he's going to stop the Jordan River. And so, but they have to set up. So they have to get all their gear together, I mean, it's just like if you were camping out somewhere, you were out, pull all your gear together, pull all your family together, pack up everything as if you're walking and moving, put it all up, get in line, get in ready, and point towards the river, and that's where we're going. And God said, you got to do all this. Get ready to go. Start walking. Because God required something of them. And the things he required of them, I'd break it up into two things. And the first thing is this. The recipe for a miracle, yes, God has to do something, but we have to do something. And the first thing we have to do is stand on the promises of God. Stand on the promises of God. And here's what I mean by that. God had told them, I'm going to part the Jordan River in front of you. So go and do this. Right. So this wasn't that they could have stepped in any river and it would part. In fact, as far as we know, every other time the Israelites or an Israelite had to cross a river from this point on, they had to do it just like every other human did it. They go over a bridge around it or float over it. This was a particular word of God to them in this moment that it was a promise 
that they were called to stand on. And I say that, to, I say that because of this reason. Because it wasn't about just having faith in faith. It wasn't about just believing hard enough and something will happen. It wasn't about, well, if you just have faith enough and believe it and want it bad enough, it's going to happen. It was about a particular promise of God given to them for that moment and that's what they were standing on. That's what they were standing on. That it was a word given for them. And I say that because I think there are times where we can forget that it's not, we don't have faith in faith. We have faith in God. We have faith in God who does things. God does the mirror. It's not believing hard enough and, and making it happen like some kind of magic aspect to it. It's trusting and believing in the promises that God has given you. And you have promises that God has given you. It's not that he's going to split a river in front of you per se, maybe, uh, but you have promises in scripture that God has given to you. It's been very clear about them. I'm not gonna, let me just give you a couple. I'm not going to pull a lot. Of, you can go through the Bible and find all kinds of promises, but I just pulled a few out. You have a promise of God in scripture in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So here's a promise of God for you. The promise is this, that this week, when you're going through your week and you're going through your life, you may and probably will experience a time of temptation. Here's what you can know for sure about that time of temptation. Two things. One, you're not the first person and only person ever to experience that. Someone else has experienced the same temptation. Two, God has provided an escape hatch. God said he will always provide a way out. He will always provide a way out. And that's a promise you can hold on to. That's not having faith in faith. That's not having faith just in belief. That is having faith in a promise that God has provided and will provide a way out. And I can hang on to that and I can stand on that promise. And if I'm going through this week and I'm facing some kind of temptation, I can say, okay, God, where's the escape hatch? Because you promised that there's a way out of this. Maybe you're at work and you're facing a situation where you feel like you've got a, a two bad choices and someone's asking you to commit uh, you know, something against your integrity or your character and you're looking for the way out. God promised there'd be a way out. God promised there'd be a way out. God, I can stand on this promise. You promised there'd be a way out. Another promise God gives in Scripture, if any of you lack wisdom in James chapter 1, ask God and he will give it. So if you're going through your week this week and you're going, you need help in your work, you need help in your parenting, you need help in relationships, you don't have wisdom, you're not sure what to do, God said, you ask me, I will give you wisdom in your situation. It's a promise of God. You can stand on that. Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So I don't know which way to go, God. I'm not sure what to do here, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to acknowledge you. I'm going to organize my life around you, and I'm going to trust that you're going to make my path straight. I can trust that because that's a promise of God. We need to stand not on our own words, not on our own thoughts, not on our own ideas. We need to stand on God's word, God's thoughts, God's ideas, God's promises, because when you do, then you can step out in confidence. And that's the second ingredient on our side. We need to stand on God's promises and we need to step out in obedience. Step out in faith. 
It is always this way with God. There's always an action required on your part and on my part. Most of the time, it's called faith. Most of the time, when you read through Scripture, it's called faith. Jesus goes around healing. But when Jesus shows up in a town, people are sick and need to be healed, and they're not healed instantly by Jesus walking into their town. And they're not healed instantly just by them wanting to be healed. But when they step out in faith and say, Jesus, would you heal me? Jesus responds to that faith and trust in them, and a miracle happens because the recipe for the miracle comes together with God's power, and they're standing in faith and asking him to do that. Here's what David Jackman, a commentator on this, uh, uh, the book of Joshua says. He says, we must never give up what we do know because of what we don't know. Israelites are on the east side of the Jordan. I don't know how God's gonna part the water. Never seen that before. Never heard of that before. No God's done that before. I'm not sure how this is gonna happen. It's gonna bring wind, it's gonna bring fire, and dry it up. I don't know how it's gonna happen. I don't, these are the things I don't know. What I do know is that he's the God of heaven and earth and he's able to do it. What I do know is that every time he said he will do something, he does it. What I do know is he's faithful to his word. So I'm not gonna give up what I don't know. I'm not gonna give up what I do know just because of what I don't know. And so it's the same thing with you and me in our lives. That there are things and promises that God has given you and there are aspects of it that you don't know how it's gonna come about. But don't give up what you do know just because of what you don't know. Romans chapter eight says, all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. I sit across the table from a, a wonderful, loving Christian you know, uh, person or couple and, and, and they love Jesus and they sacrificially live for him and they put him first in their life and they, and they organize their lives and their family and they work around him and yet tragedy has fallen into their life. And I could say, I don't know how this is gonna work together for good. I don't know how this is all gonna come together for good. I don't know the answer to that, but what I do know is that God's able to do it. What I do know is that the God of the universe is for you and he's promised that all of these things will work together for good if you'll just continue to trust him. So I don't know how it's gonna work out, but I'm not gonna give up what I do know because of what I don't know. You're facing that temptation and it's, it's, it's flat in your face and you're saying, I've given into it maybe time and time again and I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this. I don't know, but I do know that God is able to make a way out of it for you. I do know that God can, if you make a decision that's a hard decision, but it's the right decision, that God can sustain you. There's a lot of things I don't know, but I'm not gonna give up what I do know because of what I don't know. And so you step out in faith. And so the priests had to go with the Ark of the Covenant and they had to get their feet wet before the waters ever parted. And I don't know how that river is gonna part. I just do know what God told me to do. And we're supposed to go stand in this water and get our feet wet. And when we do, the river's gonna part. 
And I don't know how that's going to happen. I just know God said it's going to happen, and so we're going to go do it. And you've got things in your life that God has told you to stay faithful to and to stay true to, and he's given you promises. And I don't know how it's going to happen, but what I do know is God is able to make it happen. And I do know he will require of you a step of faith because he always does. He always, faith is always the ticket. It's always the requirement, a step of faith. E.V. Hill is a pastor of, he was a pastor of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles. He became a great leader and pastor. He was a good friend of Billy Graham. Um, and uh, a great preacher in this country and leader for many years. If I played a clip of his sermon, I bet you'd recognize his voice maybe if you've been around church for a while. He's, he's got a very distinctive voice as he preaches. Um, and, but uh, before he became an influential pastor and influential preacher, he was a young boy growing up in rural Texas. And uh, he was growing up in early 1900s in the Great Depression, in rural Texas, and there was a woman in his church called Mama. It wasn't his mother. He wasn't related to her, but a woman in the church that he called Mama. And uh, she was no relation to him, and she announced one day to her church uh, that her boy, as he called her, my boy is going to finish high school. That's what Mama said. And you say, well, that's not a big accomplishment. Well, it was for an African-American in rural Texas during the Depression. Most of them were leaving high school in 10th grade. And I were going to get jobs for two bucks a day, and they weren't finishing high school. And she said, Ed's going to finish high school. And he did, finished high school. And then Mama said, she stood up, uh, and she said, uh, she said he would go to college. And so Mama bought him a bus ticket, a suit, a couple pairs of blue jeans, and some shirts, took him to the bus station, gave him $5, and said, I'll be praying for you. Hill said he had $1.83 left when he pulled into Prairie View, Texas. And he spent 25 cents of that to catch a city bus to Prairie View A&M campus. As he stood in line at the registrar's office, he noticed that a sign, a sign that read $83, cash, cashier's check, or money order. Hill didn't have $83 and didn't know what to do as Satan whispered into his ear that he had no business being there. He remembered Mama's promise. I'll be praying for you. So he stayed in line. And just as he was about to step up to the counter, someone put a hand on his shoulder and asked, are you Ed Hill? The man then told him to get out of line. And as they walked off to the side, the man said, son, didn't you get our letter? We've been trying to contact you. We're giving you a four-year scholarship. It will pay your tuition, room, and board and give you $35 a month in spending money. And you sit there, and I don't... I got to imagine that Ed Hill, when he's sitting in line, and Evie Hill, when he's sitting in line, didn't know where $83 was going to come from, how he was going to pay his tuition, how he was going to go to school. But what he did know was that someone was praying for him that someone said, you're supposed to be there and you trust God and you stay in line. Most of us want a miracle. We want to believe and we believe that God can do a miracle. 
But we're not always willing to stay in line. We're not always willing to stand in line and just let that happen. We're not always willing to get our feet wet and step in the water before the waters part. But that's what the recipe for a miracle is, that you've got God who does amazing work in the first part. But then you've also got an important ingredient that God asks of us that we would take, stand on his promises and step out in faith, believing in him, following him. And as we close, here's, here's the thing I want us to, to keep in mind. I think when we talk about an issue like this, there are kind of two groups of people that fall on either side of the extreme, either poles. And maybe you would find yourself in one of these categories. I think sometimes we talk about this issue that there are some people who are all of the first point, all one. They're so far on the side of if God's gonna do a miracle, then God's gonna do a miracle. He's gonna do it. You have nothing to do with it. You don't have to do anything for it. God's gonna do it. And God's, you know, it's all about him. And, and you, it's just, if he doesn't do it, if you're not getting a miracle in your life, then it's because God doesn't want it. And that's, they're all one and no two. And then I think there's other people that are on the other extreme and they're all two and no one. If you're, gonna get a, if you're not receiving a miracle in your life, it's because there's probably something wrong with you. You don't believe hard enough. You don't have the right life. You don't have the right faith. There's something in your life that's wrong. There's something in your life that, that God is mad at. God, you know, there's something in you that's wrong and that's why you don't have a miracle because it's all on you. And I think the answer, as we see this morning, as we see in the life of the Israelites in Joshua, is on neither extreme and is in the middle where we have this thing of coming together where we are asking and trusting God and standing on his promises and stepping out in faith. That is a combination of the work of God and the faith of men and women that come together and accomplish and see the miracles of God happen. In... Um, uh, in Mark chapter 10, verse 51, there was a man that walked up to Jesus and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, that's enough of an answer, right? And the blind man said, so you know what's coming next. Jesus knew what he wanted. He was a blind man. He knew exactly what he wanted, but he asked and he made him say it. Why? because he stepped out in faith and obedience to ask and believe that Jesus could do it. He said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And in doing that, he's saying, you can do this. I believe you can do this. My faith is in you, and I'm stepping out in faith in front of all these people, and I am saying, heal me. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your, what's that word? Faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The power of God and the faith of people standing on the promises and stepping out in obedience is what brings about the work of God in our lives, the miracles of God in our lives. Stand on God's promises and step forward in obedience. And that's the call. Stand on God's promises and step forward in obedience. I'm going to ask our music team to return as we close this out. And as we do in the next few minutes, just going to give us an opportunity to respond to the word of God this morning. 
This is an incredible moment in the life of the people of God. There were only two times that rivers were parted in Scripture that we know about. One was the Red Sea, when they were being delivered out of slavery. And the other is this one, the Jordan River, when they're going into the promise that God had given them. And in both these places, we see an incredible work of God. And we see that God has also required something of them to step out in faith, to trust him. And so maybe you're here today and you are looking for act and work of God in your life. You may not, I, I probably don't need a literal river parted even with all the rain this week. You probably don't need a literal river parted in your life, but you've got some place in your life where you are looking for God to act and to move. You've got a place in your life where you're looking for God to come through. You're looking for a miracle because you're looking God to do something outside of the bounds of the natural. Maybe to change a heart, to change a life, to change a situation, to intervene. You are looking for God to do something. And maybe you're on the side that says, you just need to trust God more. You're trying to bring it out in your own efforts. You, maybe you're building rafts and trying to ford the river and, and trying to come up with your own ideas. And perhaps you just, you need more of this first point and you need to come and say, God, I am fully trusting you. It is your power. And I, I'm tired of trying to do this in my own efforts. And God, so I come to you and I ask that you would move and do what only you can do. What only you can do. See, our faith and belief is a necessary component for a miracle, but not a sufficient one. Our, our belief in God is necessary, but not sufficient to produce a miracle. We really need God to move on our behalf. And so maybe you just need to come today and you need to respond by saying, God, I've been trying to do this all in my own effort and I'm done. I want you to move and I need you to show me what to do. Or maybe you're more on this other side. And uh, you've just, you've prayed about it and you asked God for it and you're asking God to do something about it, but you're not doing anything about it. And you've been afraid to step out and you've been afraid to take action. And you know what God has asked you to do and you know his promises in your life, but you have been too timid to step out in faith until you see the waters parted before you. And it just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. It's the blind man saying, heal me before his eyes are open. It's the priest stepping in the water before the river parts. It's time and time again and again in scripture that God will call you to trust him and put your faith in him before you see the miracle happen. To stand on his promises and put your trust in him. And maybe you've been asking God, but God's been asking you, will you trust me? Will you step out in faith? You've been saying, God, well, please touch the life of my coworker. Please, you know, maybe I'd love for them to know your love for them. I'd love for, for this person to know how much you love and care about them. And God's saying, would you talk to them? And these things in life where, where we may be asking God to do something and he's asking us to do something. So as the... We sing these songs of worship. You can respond to this word. I, I, this is an important part of the service. We don't come and gather just to be informed about something you didn't know before you came in the room. We come and gather to respond to God's word revealed to us. At Mount Hope, we don't believe that the Bible conforms to our lives. We believe that our lives are to conform to the word of God. 
And so as we come to respond to God's word, how is your life supposed to change and conform to what God is calling you to today? So I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to have some people up front to, you know, our elders, some of our elders will be here, and they'll pray with you if you want someone to pray with you and for you. They'll be on either side of the altar here. And, but maybe you want to stay in your chair and, chair and you want to kneel down and maybe spend some time with God praying there. If you want to come up and kneel here at the altar anywhere, someone will come and lay a hand on your shoulder and pray for you and whatever it might be that God is calling you to. But take these next couple minutes as sacred space in your week and in your day with no phones, no texts, nobody bothering you, just you and God. And just take the sacred space and respond to God's word. Father, thank you for your word. God, we confess that sometimes we try and bring miracles about in our own strength and we try to fix things on our own that we can't fix without you. And we also confess, Lord, that there are times where you have called us to do things and we've been too timid to step out in faith and do them. So Lord, would you help us identify those places in our lives, conform us to your word and your spirit, lead us and make us into the people that you desire us to be. Do those miracles, those miraculous things in our lives. Lead us even as we respond to your word now. In Jesus' name.